Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode seven. And Sam, we're gonna we're gonna try this again. Take two on uh, opening opening night in Husky football 2020. It sounds promising that we are actually gonna have a game this Saturday against Oregon State at 8 p.m. on FS1. But before we get into this game preview, Sam, what are you sipping on tonight? So I switched it up this week. I'm sticking with the whiskey genre, but my cheap ass tendencies came to light and (laughs) I bought the, uh, the half G of Kirkland signature scotch whiskey. Is it any good? I mean, you're asking somebody that thinks Jack Daniels is the best. So yeah, it's good. (laughs) <laughs> and like twenty dollars, <laughs> and I'll tell you what—it's only I'm not, twenty bucks. So I'll, I, maybe I'll get it next time I'm at Costco. I just need to try it's it. It's pretty good. It's I'm I'm enjoying it, and I'll I like say this: I have some standards. You know, like so. if I if I drop the bottle on the ground and it bounces, then that's probably too much of a bottom shelf whiskey for me. Sure, but it's in a glass bottle. It's nice. It's good stuff. So okay. yeah, that's what I'm sipping on tonight. What about you? Um, well, we were talking so long off off mic before the podcast started that I finished my main drink, which was a Negroni. Um, so finished that already, but I've moved on to the beer that I have this evening, which is a Deschutes Inversion IPA. Always a solid option. If you never had it before, it's a good IPA. I've been drinking way too many IPAs. I feel like in this podcast, though, I need to change it up, especially since it's sweater weather outside. We need to get some darker beers, I think, involved in in my podcast drinking habits. Yeah, you've been pretty heavy on the IPAs and washing it down with a rolling rock. You got to... I, 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 I have a rolling rock here, too. So, yeah. <laughs> of course you do. It wouldn't be an Emerald City fandom podcast without one at this point. I, I mean, it's becoming a... A slight tradition in our very short time as a podcast, but hopefully it's it's something, you know, a sign of things to come for many, many years. I guess since we were, you, you've already alluded to the fact that we were shooting the shit for about two hours off mic before we started recording, <laughs> that maybe we should give the listeners a little taste of what we were going back and forth about. Connor and I, we, we set some parameters around this to only players that we watched during our time at the university of washington and forward to present day what would be your mount rushmore for players and i think we both agree the unanimous selections for both of us would be miles gaskin and buddha baker Mm -hmm. and then i think we probably go a little bit on tangents from each other in terms of the other two spots yeah for me I have to go with my main man, Jake Locker. I watched him in the high school state playoffs when he was 
basically the entire Ferndale team. And at that point I knew that he was going to the university of Washington. And so I was like hyped for him then. And I just think when you have a hometown guy like him, especially coming off the crappy, he who shall not be named era actually in it still chose to come to UW. Mm -hmm. I just have a special place in my heart for somebody that put all that aside and for all intents and purposes really was the athlete and player that instantly brought some national respect back to the university of Washington program. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So I've got a soft spot in my heart for Jake locker. He's got to be on there for me. And then my fourth spot is where we probably spent a lot of our time going back and forth. I wanted to kind of keep it even and go two offensive players, two defensive players. But the more and more I thought about it, and it might be a controversial pick, but we'd love to hear your listeners, you know, top four Mount Rushmore players. But yeah, for sure. my fourth spot, I, I think I'm going with Jake Browning. I think Browning and Gaskin combined for, you know, in the parameters that we set from college days forward, the, the most successful era of Husky football mm-hmm. together and had a lot of great moments. You think about the point against Oregon when we smashed them 70 to 21. Yep. Oh, would love to see that again this year. <laughs> so I think that's who I would go with my top four. Again, I was trying to think of a defensive player and I was thinking maybe I'd go Shaq Thompson. Yeah. Mason Foster is a good one, but I think I, I feel I feel comfortable with the four that I picked in Locker, Gaskin, Uda, and Jake Browning. Hunter, what were your what were yours again? Yeah, I mean mine are roughly the same. I think we agree on on that third one and Jake Locker too. Um, the only other guy that I would throw in the hat is probably Chris Polk. Yeah, he was a beast. Um, not so much like I mean, we talked about this before too. I mean, even Bishop Sankey probably put up bigger numbers than Chris Polk did over his his career. But I look at Chris Polk and Jake Locker a lot. Of I, I look at them in the same light as I do Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin. As far as yeah. like I, the, that pair, just like I I see and envision those guys together. Whenever I think of one, I think of the other. So if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, the tandem of Locker and Polk and Browning and Gaskin have something in common. They beat mm-hmm. the shit out of the same team year in, year out. What team was that again, Connor? I, I can't quite remember. I think they are like across this across the state and um they're from some town. It's a small farmy town. Like there's a lot of wheat fields and they call it like the the that pal the palouse or something like that uh Pullman or something and, yeah i mean they, i think i think it's like a, a a cougar or a mountain lion or something like that is their logo yeah something we're yeah, referring they, to the wazoo cougars yeah they, they kicked beat, their ass beat 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 it up by the way i might add while we're on the subject of the cougs you know some people argue with the Washington 
fish and wildlife department and how we control the population of mountain lions and in some areas of the state, you know, you hear they could be problem animals and cougars and mountain lions getting into people's yards and taking pets and livestock. It's a simple solution, people. It, like, Connor, do you want to know how you keep a cougar out of your front yard? What's that, Sam? Put up a goddamn goalpost. That'll keep them away. Hey, <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> Got you. If you can't tell, we're pretty excited that we are hopefully and seems like we're on track to have our first game of the season. So Connor and I, we're feeling pretty good tonight. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, this time last week, we had just learned um, of last Thursday afternoon that the the cow game was officially off. So this week is a, it's a new week and we're feeling better about this. It, it, it seems positive and... Um, I think John Wilner had a tweet tweet earlier. I mentioned him last week. If you guys don't follow John Wilner, he's a, a writer for the San San Mercury News, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm bringing it up right now. Sorry, Sam. Did you have anything else to say while I'm looking? For no, this but I'll one? I'll back you up on that sentiment. I think his Twitter handle is at Wilner hotline. Correct. So yeah. definitely check it out. He's really plugged into the Mer- Mercury news, San Jose, Mercury news, San right Jose, Mercury news. Cool. But yeah. What, what was the, yeah. So he had, he had a tweet earlier today, likelihood of PAC 12 games being played most to least highly unofficial. He did disclaimer it that way, <laughs> but guess who was number one on the list as far as most likely to be played. UW OSU. Correct. So we got that going for us, I guess. We should caveat that with that. It was announced today that there is a positive COVID case. Correct. With Oregon state, but luckily they don't have the same really far reaching contact tracing protocols as Berkeley public health has in place. So from that person, it's not really, apples to apples comparison to what we were facing last week and that's why both connor and i as as well as john wilner feel like this game is pretty much a green light going to happen yep for sure so we'll keep our fingers crossed obviously over the next couple days and i'll truly believe it you know on saturday like afternoon ish so long as nothing else has been said at that point but um given that it's a it's late on a Thursday night and we haven't heard otherwise I'm I'm feeling pretty positive about it so all right should we talk a little bit about the history between UW and OSU and uh you know it's a it's a long standing somewhat rivalry i guess i mean it's still our kind of other brother from the south yeah and um one that you oh, UW has handled pretty pretty heavily though over over the years they lead the the total series 66 to 34 along with four ties in there so if i'm doing my math correctly that's 104 meetings and uh we've also won the last eight meetings so we've talked about our domination of the cougs over the last seven years we've beat these guys even more than that yeah so um, I know, Sam, you had some stats from specifically last year's game that I think you wanted to shout out. 
as far as just kind of the series history with Oregon State? Yeah, so last year's game, for those that don't remember it, the Huskies did win 19-7. to It was kind of a goofy game. Our offense was really having a hell of a night. Jacob Eason wasn't really on his A game, so we weren't putting up a ton of points. But one of the interesting storylines going into the game last year was the fact that Oregon State's offense was actually putting up pretty amazing stats week in, week out. Yeah. They were led by quarterback Jake Luton or Luton. I don't really know how to Luton. pronounce his last yeah, it's name. Luton, which he and recently just started for the Jaguars. Exactly. Yeah, he came in to fill in for Gardner Minshew Did. for the Jags. And I don't really – I didn't follow the game. I don't know how well he played. I did see I he know. scored – I'll, I'll check it. I think he scored a rushing touchdown. Sounds um, right. But anyways, getting back to last year's UW-Oregon State game, we won 19-7. to And again, like I mentioned, their offense came in on a hot streak, really. And we held their entire offense through the entire game to only 119 yards. And even more amazing of a stat than that was in the second half, the second, the third quarter plus the fourth quarter of the entire game, the Oregon State offense gained eight yards. Single digits. You heard it right, eight yards. So our defense came to play. And it was a coming out party of sorts for a couple of players. Joe Tryon had arguably the best game he's had in a Husky uniform. He's obviously off to greener pastures in the NFL draft. He won't be with us this year. But Eddie Ulofosio, that was his first game where he really started to stand out. I think he had eight, nine, ten tackles, really played aggressive, physical brand of football that he became, you know, we became more accustomed to seeing out of him as the season progressed. And so, yeah, I'm hoping to see a little bit more of the same. Honestly, I think our defense is going to be the story of the game. I think their offense will have a really hard time moving the ball against Mm us. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that just jogged my memory, Connor, when you talked about the, the history of, UW versus Oregon State. For me personally, this game has a a lot of meaning to me. It was actually the matchup of my first Husky game I went to as a young kid. One of my best friends growing up, I went to school with him from kindergarten all through high school. His name's Ryan Sapardo. And I give his full name for a reason because he's actually now a special teams quality control coach for the Oregon State Beavers. I went to the game. Ryan and his dad, Steve, took me to the game. This must have been late 90s, early 2000s, and it was like Mm -hmm. my first full-on tailgate, like Husky football experience. The Huskies won in a close game. I don't remember exactly what the score was. Um but it's kind of funny. It comes full circle. It was my first game. It was an awesome experience for someone that loved the Huskies. And now here we are in 2020 and my best bud that took me to the game is coaching on the other sidelines. So it's pretty maybe, cool. maybe we'll be able to drag Sapardo onto the podcast for a post game, post game call next week or something, but man, that'd be, that'd be nuts. 
he's a big timer now. I don't know if he'll mess around with us. <laughs> I, fans, would be, but, I would be surprised, but pleasantly surprised if he did. So yeah, we might be able to pull him away from his uh, game prep, his duties for the next game, and he's got important things to do. But anyways, just a cool story of my background with Oregon State and. I, Sparto's a cool guy. I root for him in every game except for when they play UW. So it's fair. He's sneaky though. They if they if they come out with a crazy special teams play, fake punt or some you know crazy lateral kick return, he's the one that he's the mastermind behind it. So he yeah. might have something slipped up his sleeve. So we'll we'll have to keep an eye out for that. But um, I think that pretty much covers most of the the main points of our series history against Oregon State. Yeah, if you wanted to know what Jake Luton did in a Jaguars uniform, yeah, I have I have those stats in front of me now. Might as well. It's not anything to write home about, but he did go he he again made I think I think that was his first start and first playing time in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. So, um yeah, he ended up starting for the Jaguars last week against the Texans in a two-point loss to the Texans. Uh, and he went 26 for 38 for 304 yards. He had a touchdown and an interception. And then, like Sam said earlier, he also had a 13-yard rushing touchdown in the game. So not a bad debut. And, and he's a local kid. He's from Marysville Pilchuck High School. Correct. Grew yep. up in Marysville. And he transferred to Oregon State. Didn't he go somewhere else first? Yeah, he Idaho went to yep University of Idaho, yeah, and then uh, moved over to Oregon State and had he had a good career at Oregon State. I mean, yeah. he's in the NFL now, so it's kind of a cool story in his own right for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Do we want to quickly touch on? So Oregon State played last week. They right. played against the 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 team from Palouse, Pol, the the Cougars, <laughs> Pullman. Wazoo. Yeah, it's some kind of, game? it's like Wildcats or something. I don't know. <laughs> they got one of those crazy cat names. Yeah. Get used to it, folks. We're gonna shit on the Kooks all the way up till Apple Cup and probably after. So and probably every podcast that will yeah. ever be aired on on this this podcast. So if you're a Cougar sure. fan listening to this, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not going to take too kindly to what we have to say. Um, but yeah, like Sam was saying, Oregon State did did play last week against Wazoo. Uh, lost 38-28 to to a new era in Pullman that we'll get into in a couple weeks. But yep. Rolovich had a pretty good, pretty good debut as head coach. And they got a young, exciting freshman quarterback that was looks like a playmaker and looks like there's there's some legitness to the rollo ball that that everyone's been talking about and hyping up before this year albeit yeah. against a pretty you know underwhelming opponent we think in Oregon State at least at this point in the year so um so yeah they they one of the things that has been talked about this week with the Huskies not playing last week and I want to get your thoughts on this Sam is the fact that there's a little bit of an advantage on both sides to Oregon State playing last week. They've obviously, you know, kind of gotten their feet under them, knocked mm -hmm. off some of that rust from a very long off season, and uh, have 
been in a stadium with no fans now and played an actual game. So there's some advantage to that. On the contrary, with UW, they have an extra week to prepare for Oregon State. They have no game film on at, at UW doesn't have any game film on or rather OSU doesn't have any game film on UW because they haven't played yet. So and especially with a lot of turnover and a lot of new coaches this year, there's a lot of unknown as far as what to expect from this UW team. So that game film is really important and it's the best way to implement a game plan during the week. Obviously, UW's now had a week to prepare with game film of OSU's loss to yep. Wazoo. So they kind of know what the, the Beavers are at least somewhat about through one game. Um, so there's obviously an advantage to that too. Do you think there's more of an advantage on one of those sides? Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I definitely think there is. I think the advantage for sure tilts in the direction of the Huskies on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that knocking the rust off and getting the jitters out on the OSU side in terms of playing their game last week is definitely a valid point. But I would also say those really only last for the first, really the first drive for each side of the ball. You kind of get your first big hit in or you take your first tackle or complete your first pass. Those quickly subside during the game. So I expect you to to get over that relatively quickly this Saturday. Whereas I think on the, the other, the other side of it is UW is totally a mystery right now offensively. And we don't even know what to expect as fans. Yeah, we really we don't know who our quarterback's going to be. We don't even know who our running back is going to be. Apparently, so we don't know if there's going to be multiple quarterbacks. Yeah, so I think from that perspective, we're able to really dive into the details of the tape that OSU put on against Wazoo, and Oregon State is really at a loss in terms of being able to put together a defensive game plan against an offense that they were expecting to have game film against Cal from last Mm -hmm. week. So Mm -hmm. I think calling in a more of an advantage in this one definitely leans towards UW. I'd imagine you agree with that as well. Yeah, I do. I do. All right. Um, Let's get into this depth chart a little bit. Uh, It's the same as the Cal game for UW. So not, huge developments there though we do have a couple things that we would like to touch on and i know you're pretty fired up about this first one so i'll take i'll let you take the reins, sam listen this is a huge development because we've been talking about it in our previous podcasts previewing the offense that we weren't sure that puka nakua was healthy and at, at one point we thought that his season was maybe in jeopardy. Well, listen up, folks. Puka is ready to rock and roll. I fully expect to see him out there Saturday tearing it up. Should we, we gotta... change our, our receiving predictions now? Yes, we should. <laughs> Puka is going to lead the team in receiving in every category yep. easily. And we have not only did we hear rumblings of this being the case, but out in public – there's visual proof that Puka is healthy. The University of Washington 
football Twitter account, tweeted out a video from practice, and Uka looked fast. Yep, he was running full speed. He could jump, made a contested catch in traffic against our number one defensive players. So that is a huge, huge positive development for the Huskies because he is a game changer in every way of the word. Yeah. And with this development, I'm expecting huge things from Puka this year. And obviously a lot of that relies upon what we get from our new starting quarterback or quarterbacks. But either way, everything that we're, we're gathering from interviews and press conferences recently is it sounds like this offense is going to be really aggressive in every way. And it's going to start with running the ball, but they're going to be throwing the ball downfield and these big sturdy wide receivers that are not 175. They are well over six foot, many of them over 200 pounds. Yeah. Are going to be making some amazing contested catches for this team. And it's going to be, it's going to be a fun offense to watch. I think if that's yeah, for sure. And I want to, you touched on the quarterback battle and I want to provide a little bit of an update on that. For the last couple of weeks, Connor and I have really been honing in on a two horse race, a two man horse race in Kevin Thompson and Dylan Morris. Yep. I have been hearing rumblings that Jacob Sermon had some of the best couple of weeks of practice. See? And there are people out there that are saying that they've heard from reliable sources that he's the starter. Again, with how Jimmy Lake has just kind of been fucking with everybody, how much of that is the truth versus putting out what he wants people to hear. Right. I don't know, but I think it's we need to do our due diligence in terms of providing our listeners with the most recent information that we're hearing, whether it's fabricated or reality, but it just goes to show that neither Connor and I have a clue who the quarterback is going to be. Like at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Kevin Thompson. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Jacob Sermon, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Dylan Morris. I think with the opponent being Oregon State, we're almost assuredly going to see multiple quarterbacks play, mm-hmm. whether that's part of the game plan or, in my prediction, likely to be mop-up duty towards the end of the game. But nonetheless, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat just like everyone else to see who takes the first snap from under center. Yeah, for sure. It's been obviously the biggest topic of this off season for the Huskies is who's going to start at quarterback in game one. And even though that person's starting at quarterback in game one, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're probably going to be the starter of the, the full year. Cause like Sam said, there's probably going to be multiple quarterbacks playing in this first game. And, you know, the sermon, the sermon developments are interesting. And look, this is, it, we weren't trying to diminish anything that Jacob Sermon is as far as a player, because he's obviously got a strong pedigree. He was highly recruited out of Bothell, came from a winning program in Bothell, has a, like the perfect quarterback stature that you would want in like 6'5", whatever yeah, he I is. Yeah, I think he's 6'4", 245. He's yeah, a big so, dude. So he's a big, sturdy, tall quarterback that can stand 
well in the pocket and see over his offensive line and deliver those throws on time. Got a big arm and he's pretty accurate with the ball as well. So he definitely has all the tools. I think one of the things that Sam and I have just stressed on is all of the intangibles as far as it comes like with, with leadership, with the leadership aspect as well as just the moxie aspect mm -hmm. and, and kind of that, you know, you'll do anything for your team to win type of personality that we've seen from a Jake Locker and a Keith Price and a Jake Browning. Like you've seen it from all of those guys, as far as like that style of personality, that character and that moxie that just, tends to lead to success in, in being a quarterback. And it's something that we're a little bit skeptical, skeptical whether Jacob Sermon really has that. So uh, it's certainly welcome news that it sounds like he's had some good weeks. And, you know, I mean, I think whoever ends up being the start, starter, the guys are going to rally behind. Like, yeah. it, I, I don't think it's going to be um, like, it's it has to be one one specific person, but um, I still, I still tend to think that Kevin Thompson is probably the favorite at this point, but we'll see. You never know. That's what, you know, gets us all riled up in anticipation for Saturday. For sure. Um, I know one we'll find the, out at what 802 or something like that, probably something or, like that, Can't who are at least initial starting quarterback is. Yeah. And I know you wanted to touch on one other depth chart item. Yeah. In the defensive backfield. Yeah, so one of the things that we talked about in our, I think it was our just our second episode. Yeah. Was um, kind of a, well, no, I guess it was when the death chart came out for Cal that we talked about it more. But, I mean, we did touch on it in the second episode Yep. in, in our defensive preview is uh, the, the duo that Cam Williams and – Asa Turner had developed towards the end of last season and we fully expected them to be the starters this year. And then when the death chart came out for the Cal game, which again is the same for this Oregon state game as well, Alex cook is the name that is starting at the safety position opposite of Asa Turner. And it threw, it threw Sam and I a little bit for a loop and definitely was a surprise. And one of those things that I think probably both of us initially were disappointed by, Mm -hmm. But the more that we're seeing not only like the, you know, Twitter and Instagram highlights and stuff of, of plays being made in practices, but also, you know, the, the players and coaches in their interviews and press conferences and how they talk about Alex Cook. I think this is pretty legit. I think, I think he's going to play a big factor on this defense this year. And I think, his ball skills are what stands out a lot to the defensive coaches and, and, and the players that are talking about him. And, you know, if honestly, if I were to take a hot take right now, I would change my interceptions pick for who's going to lead the team from Asa Turner to Alex cook. I mean, you're talking about a former receiver who's got a nose for the ball, knows all the routes that all the, receivers are going to be running and he, I mean, he's just, he's just a ball hawk in general. He's, he's got the size for it too. He's six foot 200. 
So um, I think I think this is six one two hundred. Sorry, um, I think this is this is a legit development, and I think Alex Cook is is one of those guys from that started as a wide receiver and has moved to defensive back and is going to stay at defensive back and play a big role as a safety. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know we touched on it when the depth chart came out and we were kind of analyzing this. And again, to Connor's point kind of took us by surprise a little bit, but reminiscing a little bit on his recruitment to the university of Washington, there were a lot of expert scouts that, pegged him as a better safety than wide receiver. He plays with a defensive mentality when he was a wide receiver in high school, really has a physical nature to his game. And I think Jimmy Lake more or less got his way on this one. I think it was a a two-year battle to get Alex Cook to the right side of the ball in Jimmy Lake's eyes. And, you know, he has a full year under his belt, learning the defense, the play calls, kind of the the schemes and understanding where he needs to be and when. And I think this is something that Husky fans should be excited about. I mean, we saw last year firsthand that Cam Williams is no slouch. I mean, he had a, he took his freshman lumps, but he's a good player. He's going to be a really good player for the Huskies down the road. And to see someone like Alex, Alex Cook kind of take over that spot, at least on paper in the depth chart, right. should speak more to what Alex Cook is showing in practice leading up to this season and less about you know a lack of talent at the position. We're talking about Jimmy Lake's defensive backs here. Yeah, You go down the NFL rosters and they're riddled with Jimmy Lake defensive backs. If Jimmy Lake has somebody starting at safety or corner or nickel. It's because they're the best player at that position. Right. And competition is, is amazing. It's what makes really good teams move into the great and elite categories. When you have guys like an Alex cook pushing for playing time and pushing someone like an Asa Turner or a Cam Williams. So I think, the more, to Connor's point, the more that we've kind of stewed on this one and thought about it, I'm much more excited about this development than I initially was because, to Connor's point, being a former wide receiver, he's got hands. And if he can grasp his assignments and the defensive schemes and carve out a role for himself, mm-hmm. he, I'm totally convinced that he could be a, a real difference maker on defense. So it'll be, again, another exciting thing to keep an eye on Saturday and who takes the field at starting safety and see how the snap counts go between those three, I think, are largely considered the the favorites for the most playing time at safety between Alex Cook, Cam Williams, and Asa Turner. And mm-hmm. we know Cam and Asa can play, and if Alex Cook is kind of made a name for himself and put him in that conversation. I'll take it. Yeah, no doubt. And kind of like you were saying earlier, Sam is we've had some personnel disagreements with some of the linebackers in the past and some of the wide receivers in the past. One thing we've never had a personnel argument over is who's starting in the defensive backfield. Yeah. So 
if Alex Cook is the starter and Jimmy Lake's got confidence in him, I've got all the confidence in the world in him. Yeah. So. Jimmy Lake has earned the trust. Whoever he puts out there in the defensive backfield is going to be the best player. You can go back to the years of, you know, we started three true freshmen out in our defensive backfield with Sidney Jones, Buda Baker, and I guess it wasn't three true freshmen. Kevin King was out there as a red shirt, I think. Yeah. When he was Anyways. playing safety, that was rough. I don't remember what year that was, though. <laughs> yeah, but Jimmy Lake is, I mean, you saw it last year. He put Trent McDuffie as a true freshman out there to start. So, Though, I mean, I guess to that point, he started Kyler, and Kyler really struggled off the bat last year. So, yeah. We'll see, but I mean, I have all the all the faith in the world in Jimmy getting this defensive backfield figured out and putting the best players out there, and especially early on in this first game, expect a lot of rotation. Yep. Like you're gonna see all these guys play. So, uh, I think I think these are just kind of names on a paper right now. But I think I do I do I do believe that Alex Cook is gonna definitely play a role in this defense. Yeah, I do too. All right, should we get into a little bit of OSU's? roster here as far as some players to watch in this first game and maybe some players that had decent games against wazoo albeit in a loss um but nonetheless osu does have have a few players that are impressive and definitely probably are some names that are going to play on sundays eventually here and some names that edub needs to worry about and control in order for them to take handle in this game like we fully expect them to uh the first one being i'll start here sam the most obvious one is the running back jamar jefferson their entire offense runs behind him um he had a big game against wazoo he had 21 carries for 120 yards that's an average of 5.7 yards per carry three touchdowns and he also not just running the ball, but is a good receiver out of the backfield and their main check down option in the offense. And he had five receptions for 50, for 50 yards in that game too. So obviously they're kind of key, key player and key playmaker on offense. And so goes Jamar Jefferson. So goes the, the Oregon state offense. So I think one of the, biggest things is going to be making sure that we control him um but they also have a they also have a guy on the defensive side of the ball that i know that you're pretty high on sam and he had a pretty pretty stellar year last year and we'll see what that amounts to this year yeah going back to my buddy ryan sapardo who coaches at oregon state he kind of gave me the tip and the head start on this guy at the beginning of last year their outside linebacker Hamaka Rashid Jr. is definitely a name that you're going to see on Sundays in the NFL. He's 6'4", 245 pounds, really athletic. He had an amazing year last year, 62 tackles, 14 sacks. I mean, 14 sacks in a college season is insane. Yeah. He had two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, he didn't have a great game against Wazoo. He had two tackles, didn't get any sacks, but number nine is someone that you are going to need to keep an eye on on the Oregon State defense. Our offensive line 
their number one task going into the game Saturday is going to be aware of where number nine lines up for Oregon State because he's someone that can just wreak havoc and destroy a, a play at any given moment. And I, as a Husky fan that's trying to figure out what we have offensively, particularly along the offensive line, we've touched on it. A lot of our key returning players are playing new positions. We have a lot of new faces. And Hamako Rashid Jr. is going to really provide a good test and a good assessment from our perspective on how our offensive line stacks up against an elite pass rusher. So I expect him, I mean, I'm surprised with his stat line being so little with Wazoo with only two tackles. I didn't follow the game very closely. I don't know if he got injured or only played part of the game, but assuming he's healthy for this weekend's game against UW, he's the kind of player that's really special. He's going to make his plays, but if we can limit the amount of chaos that he can cause to our offensive game plan, we'll be in good shape. But like I said, keep your eye on number nine, again, on the Oregon State defense and get familiar with the name because like I said, he'll be playing in the NFL probably next year. I don't know exactly what year he is. I think he's, he's a redshirt senior. So yeah, yeah. last last go yeah. around. He'll be in the NFL next year. Promise that. Yeah, for sure. And he'll probably be even a higher round pick. I would assume probably with some of those, those stats that he's put up and just yeah, how he's developed as a pass rusher. So those, those are obviously very highly coveted in the NFL as us Seahawks fans know. <laughs> yep. Another name that's an interesting name at Oregon State. He didn't get any playing time against Wazoo. I don't know for sure if that has to do with him sitting out this year or not because of transfer rules, but they have a running back on the roster named Trey Lowe. If the name sounds familiar, that's because he was on the Huskies roster the past year or two. And he transferred, he he's hails from the Oregon area. And I think he wasn't, he didn't really see a path to playing time with our new wide receiver philosophy, getting bigger at that position. Trey Lowe is more of your Chico McClatcher, 5'7", 190-ish, more of a running back in the slot type player. I don't know that he's going to have an impact on this game per se, but just an interesting tidbit in the sense that he was a former Husky, now followed our former offensive coordinator, Jonathan Smith, who's now the head coach at his alma mater at Oregon State and will likely carve out a role for himself in that offense at some point down the line. Um, so just calling that out as a name to watch for years to come. Again, like I said, based on how the game went against Wazoo, he didn't really contribute there. I'm not sure if that's because of transfer rules or him not factoring into the offensive scheme quite yet, but figured I'd call that out. It's a little bit of a connection between the two programs and, and definitely worth noting. Yeah, for sure. And as far as some other players to watch, in, or at least one other player to watch, 
when I was watching the second half, which was when kind of Oregon State's offense actually started to do something in the game against Wazoo, um, aside from Jamar Jefferson, the one guy that seemed to stand out on the offense in the passing game was wide receiver Trevon Bradford. He seemed to be a, a solid outlet and he's their most experienced receiver. Um, he ended up in the game with I got it for seven, you. Seven I got it. Seven receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown. I think he also had a two-point conversion towards the end of the game. So definitely was the guy that Jebbia, their quarterback, um trusted in some key situations, especially in some third downs um towards the end of the that game. And they didn't do a lot in the passing game as far as like targeting receivers downfield, but he was kind of the one guy, at least towards the end of the game, that they did that with. Um, when they're not targeting Bradford or Jamar Jefferson, look for them to be targeting some of their tight ends. Mostly Luke Musgrave was had a pretty good week last week against Wazoo. He had four catches for 56 yards. So I'd say that he's probably going to, get a few catches and a few touches in this game as well. It'll be interesting to see what their receivers, none of them are really standout names do against, you know, largely thought to be a pretty elite secondary in the UW Huskies. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens in that. But I will say that I did see Trevon Bradford get some major separation against some of the Wazoo defensive backs and I'm not sure if that was scheme, whether that was kind of like a soft zone or if that was actually legit man-to-man getting separation. So that'll be an interesting development. But for sure, the guy to watch on offense is Jamar Jefferson. He's a legit running back, arguably the best in the Pac-12. So all the keys to beating the Beavers on on their offense and on the Huskies defense is stopping and, and controlling Jamar Jefferson, which we did in last year's game. And that was a big part of us winning that game and keeping their offensive totals down. We held them to only 39 yards rushing in last year's game on nine carries. So, um, you know, if we, if we're able to do something like that, I think that's a pretty, pretty big marker towards us getting a win on Saturday. Yeah. If we hold them to that stat line again, that's for all intents and purposes, that's a nail in the coffin. For sure. Yeah. They don't um, have, they really don't have anything else on offense that's proven. So yeah. And Jamar Jefferson is a stud, like Connor said. He is. He's he's a load, 5'10, 217, really runs behind his pads, tough to bring down. So we'll for sure have to tackle well. One other player that I want to call out on the Oregon State roster that's worth noting is I have to believe that they have the smallest starting football player (laughs) for sure in the Pac-12, and I'd be shocked if there's someone smaller in stature in the nation. Is he going to die against the Huskies? He might get killed on Saturday. Champ Fleming's wide receiver. He wears the jersey number Flash 16. Returner. He's their kick returner. 
he played last year too. All of five foot five inches, and we all know how you know heights get recorded. That's a little generous. He's probably more in the range of five three, five four. Mm-hmm. Weighs in at a whopping one hundred and forty one pounds. I will say he did have a productive game last week against Wazoo. He had five catches for fifty five yards. But he's quick. I mean, he's a he's a super jittery quick guy. Um, I just don't I, see I, him getting back up after Eddie Ulofosio hits him across the middle. <laughs> I, just, I don't see it happening. Or I'm Asa sorry. Turner if he's that far down the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if while well, he's quick and jittery, like I like our chances from the cornerback position. Yeah. If if you got Keith Taylor up against him, just body him, right? Literally, Keith Taylor could just probably knock him over within two two yards of the line of scrimmage and his play is over. You got Trent McDuffie, who is as solid as a cover corner as you're going to get and can keep up with that Anybody. style of player. Yeah. And then you have the best slot corner, probably, and arguably the best slot corner in the nation in Elijah Molden. Yeah. So I think I like our chances against this uh, Champ Flemings dude. I mean, five five one forty one is little. That's that's a little. That's a little man. That's smaller than me. And I, I, I turned out for <laughs> I turned out for football. My little little history here. I turned out for football my freshman year at Jackson High School, and I got hit on back to back plays by Riley Carr, who ended up playing football at Air Force, and then I think Central after that. And then Tim St. Marie. I don't know if he played college football, but big dude nonetheless. And said, F this, I'm gonna go run. So <laughs> I became a cross I became a cross country runner and did well in cross country. But yeah, yeah thought good... thought I thought I was gonna thought I was gonna be a hot shot football player there for about two seconds and realized very quickly that you know, five eight, one fifty five wasn't well, I guess not even that. Five eight, one forty in high school wasn't probably going to cut it. So, well, it made for a hell of a cross country runner. So you may not have been a big shot on the gridiron, but you're a big shot at, in in the cross country world. It was a blessing in disguise, I will say that. Yeah. So, anyways, right. keep an eye out on that. I don't wish injuries on anyone. I hope Champ Fleming's <laughs> yes, we makes to be it clear about that. <laughs> I hope he makes it through the game, but it's not looking great for the guy. But I would have I would have medics ready on the sidelines get that aid car in the tunnel as soon as the Huskies take the field because yeah could be could be could be scary stuff could be bad news bears so with that he's obviously he's obviously I mean he's obviously stuck around he's a redshirt junior now and he's still playing college ball so credit for that yeah no, I mean, more power to him. It's must have the heart of a lion, I suppose. But <laughs> we want let's transition. Let's talk more about this Husky team. Yeah, it's a good it's a good transition. Um, we're going to talk about some players to watch, some keys to the game. I think this is a pro is a pretty good segue to this segment. I think one of the things that we'll be looking for this Saturday is the fact that this Husky roster. You know, we've we've talked about the blue chip ratio in the past in terms of the talent and the depth on this team. 
-hmm. And I know Connor's gone in depth on the size and athleticism of this team. I really think that's where this starts for this game. And some of the takeaways we're going to look for is in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Will our offensive line be able to assert their dominance? You look at the Oregon State defensive line, they're all, you know, 265, yep. 290, 270. They're not, a, there's not a lot of beef up front for that Oregon State defense. So we're going to keep an eye out and hopefully be able to see us, you know, assert our dominance physically in the run game with our offensive line. I think going to the, back to the Oregon State Washington State game last weekend, the Cougars ran for. 229 yards averaging 7.6 yards per carry yeah that's for a team i mean i, I know they're now in the run and shoot they used Rolo, to be in the Rolo air ball. raid yeah more so balance now there will be a more balanced more rushing attack from the Cougs, but that roster is not really built to run the ball like we are sure so honor and i earlier talking off mic we we anticipate that the Huskies are going to roll for 250 yards plus on the ground. I'm calling 300. I totally could see that happening. So that's one area to keep an eye on. Offensively, on the offensive line, keep an eye out for how Jackson Kirkland holds up at left tackle. Look yep. at our two new guards. Left guard, Ulamu Ale, is a beast of a man. He's going to have... 60 pounds on the guys that he's blocking. Henry Bainavalu at right guard is going to have 40 pounds on the guys that he's blocking. So really looking for that offensive front to assert their dominance. And then on the defensive side of the ball, similarly, we're looking for some of the big boys up front to kind of assert their dominance and, and corral Jamar Jefferson. Yeah. And I'm looking at, Oregon State's offensive line, and they only have one starter over 300. And we got two beefy guys in the middle in Thule and Josiah, both at over 300 pounds. Yeah, that That's going to be, I think, a huge part of this game is those two guys clogging up holes, as well as the guys behind them and Sam Taimani and Fatui Tuatele. All big guys, all over 300 pounds. Those guys are clogging up holes and able to take on blockers and our inside linebackers are tackling well. We're going to win this game handily. Yeah, game over. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I think those are... Thule and Josiah are two guys that I'm really going to be keying in on as far as the defensive side of the ball. Um, it'd be It'd be really nice to see them have super dominant games against an undersized offensive line and not only causing havoc in the running game, but also possibly getting in the backfield and putting some pressure on the quarterback. So um, yeah, definitely keep an eye on those two. Tuli Latuli Nasanoa wears number 91. Josiah Bronson wears number 90. They're likely to be our two. Why does he say number 11 right now? Who does? On on the depth chart, it oh, says Josiah yeah, Bronson, Josiah, number 11. Number changes. He wore number 90 last year. He's wearing number 11 this year. What the fuck is he doing wearing number 11 on the defensive line? Let him do him. 
I don't know if he can That's play like a number eleven on the defensive line, like Elijah Qualls used to. Questionable. Though I guess yeah. Latu is thirteen, so, but still, yeah, a little weird, a little weird. No, good call out there. And again, I prefaced it in an earlier podcast. A lot I'm of having, changes. I'm having as much trouble as anyone keeping these numbers straight. There's yeah. been a lot of number changes. So correction: Thule will be ninety-one. Josiah will be number eleven. Mm-hmm. And to Connor's point, keep an eye on them. They're going to be really the key to the game in terms of limiting the Oregon State rushing attack and trying to keep their prolific running back, Jamar Jefferson, in check. Yeah, for sure. And obviously the guys behind them, whether or not Tuli or Josiah are actually making the tackles, it'd be nice to see them get some TFLs and tackles for loss in the backfield. But it's really about those guys like taking on linemen and freeing up our inside linebackers, Jackson Sermon and Eddie Ulofoscio, and letting them make the plays in, 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 those, in those running lanes. So, so long as those guys, I think, all tackle well, along, again, with, like we've stressed before, we're going to see a lot of rotation, I think, especially on this defense. You're going to see duos, like, trade out with Jackson Sermon and Eddie Ulofoscio, and then you'll say... Alfonso Tupatala and MJ Tafisi behind them. You might see some mix and matching, but I think for the most part, those duos are going to stay the same, but there's going to be plenty of rotation there at that linebacker spot. So look for those inside linebackers to make some plays, tackling some ball carriers. Um, let's see on, on offense. I mean, obviously the big, the big, question in the room is is who plays quarterback and what does that look like i mean that's going to be the biggest thing to watch in the game i think is like sam and i anticipate there's probably going to be more than one quarterback that plays and who plays the best and is that really indicative of what we should see what we should expect the rest of the season are they going to stick with this multiple quarterback set that we anticipate or does one guy kind of separate himself in this game? Um, that's, I mean, that's obviously like kind of the, the biggest question mark, but also, I mean, I'm equally excited about this running back group and we've talked about this running game so much and how we really want to physically impose our will against an undersized Oregon state team. And if you're just looking at size alone, like, we should roll these guys as far as in, in that, in that rushing attack and everything that we've gathered this off season is that that's going to be the primary focus is that we're going to be an aggressive and physical running team and then probably play action pass or take some deep shots off of that in the passing game. And like getting back to these, these tailbacks though, I mean, Campari Pleasant, again, still is listed as that starter. I don't know what to expect from him. It sounds like he's had a good fall camp, and John Donovan likes him and likes what he brings as far as a physicality standpoint, again, I think, just with that bigger body. But I think Sam and I both expect that Sean McGrew, Richard Newton, and Cam Davis are probably going to end up being the better talent in that tailback room. And I'm I'm extremely excited and curious to see how how that develops throughout this Oregon State game and where those carries go and who's getting the bulk of them and what they're doing with those carries and who's making the most of those opportunities. I don't know about you, Sam. 
Yeah, for sure. I think with the way that the depth chart came out with Kamari Pleasant listed as the sole starter without even an or attached to the, the end of his name there was another depth chart surprise that we got. Be interesting to see how the carries shake out. I think just rounding out the offense, obviously the quarterback position battle is interesting. The running back position battle apparently now is interesting to see how the carries get you know, split out between the stable of running backs that we have. We want to see our offensive line really impose their will against a smaller, unmatched physically Oregon State defensive line. And then I think the other thing to keep an eye on that's got us on the edge of our seats is some of these young receivers. Yep. I mean, obviously with Puka, Nakua seemingly healthy, he's obviously kind of solidified as the number one guy. Ty Jones is coming off of an injury. He's been proven productive receiver in the past, but I'm really interested to see someone like Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan, and maybe even a, a Sawyer Racanelli come into this equation as well. So I think offensively, you know, similarly to the Oregon State Beavers coaching staff, they've got to kind of be scratching their heads trying to figure out what they're going to see on Saturday, just like us fans are. And that's what's going to make this game really exciting and it's what's going to make all day Saturday feel like three days combined just sitting around waiting for the game to start at 8 p.m. because I can't wait to see what this offense is going to look like. Yes yeah and a little bit off topic right here but we were talking off mic earlier about how you really enjoyed and liked that 9 a.m. kick for a Pac-12 game and I'm assuming I think I know your answer to this but would you prefer that 9 a.m. kick right like on Saturday or would you prefer that 8 p.m. kick wait all day but get to end your night off with some Husky football? Yeah, that's a good question. I think given the fact that there's no potential for fans in the stands or the traditional tailgating and sailgating around Husky Stadium in the world of the coronavirus pandemic, mm-hmm. I would prefer to honestly set my alarm for 855, <laughs> wake up, sit downstairs on the couch in my pajamas, have a big old ham and cheese omelet, maybe a nice. pancake or two and watch the Huskies play, get it out of the way. And then if they win, just be on cloud nine, enjoy the rest of my Saturday and get on with it. Or if they lose, just go right to the ice cream and whiskey and just sulk around all day. <laughs> um, I think in, in this time, I'd prefer the 9 a.m. Yeah. But I do think if we get to a place next year, I probably prefer the later games because it gives a chance to build up that traditional Husky Stadium atmosphere with tailgating and sailgating and all the things that make Montlake a special place. Yeah. But – I'm really open to the 9 a.m. slot. I'd be happy even in a regular season to have a game or two start at 9. I like the national exposure that brings, having a a game being played from noon to 4 Eastern time, give a little bit more national exposure to the Pac-12 and to our University of Washington Husky football players. So I like it a lot. I'd, I'd be okay with it. I know it's kind of a controversial topic, but the Pac-12 kind of hit it off on the hot start with the 9 a.m. games last week with 
USC and Arizona State came down to the wire and mm-hmm. was a hell of a game. And I think it did pretty well ratings wise as well. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's everything that I've heard as well. And um, the if we I think if we do have 9 a.m. games in the future after this season, it's likely to come mostly for away kicks at Utah, at Colorado, at Arizona, at Arizona State those time zones that are one one hour ahead of us just because mm-hmm. it's not quite as early, a little bit more fan-friendly at that point, be, being 10 a.m. there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good year to try it out. And like you said, it seemed like it did well in that first week of trying it out in the Pac-12. And I'm hoping that they try it again at some point this year. It sounded like that they might try one more opportunity, probably again, like in one of those those Arizona or Mountain schools. Mm-hmm. Um, kicking off a game at 9 a.m. in the Pac-12. I, it'll be interesting to see if that develops into anything later this year. So, Yeah, I like it. We, I mean, being on the West Coast, we have to do what we can control what we can control and, and try to get some additional exposure for our teams on the national scale. No doubt, for sure. Anyone else you want to shout out? on the huskies before we get to like some like major keys to the game as far as what we think is going to be the biggest development and hopefully a husky victory on saturday not that i can think of i think we've kind of touched on some of the keys so i think it makes sense to yeah just kind of summarize some of those things up and then maybe give our i think we're in agreement on all of them too so yeah, probably. And then give our final predictions for the game and cool. Should be good to go. Sounds good. Yeah. So keys to the game. So I mean, I think again, you probably can predict what Sam and I are gonna say say here, but I think the one of the biggest keys to the game is gonna be controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. It's kind of one of those cliche, you know, coach speak types of keys to the game. But it really is a factor in nearly every football game, but especially a game like this where you have the the advantage in the size matchups along along the, both of those lines. So I think if I think if our offensive line and our defensive line are physical and win those one on one battles at the line of scrimmage, that's going to be a really big indicator towards us succeeding in this game and coming out on top. And against an Oregon State team that is undersized, I fully expect us to do that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the number one key to the game is just establishing a superior level of physicality. I think the second key to the game, at least for me, and whether this ranks as number two or number three for you, I I would assume this is on your list as well, is winning the turnover battle. Let's take care of the ball offensively. Let some of our defensive playmakers like Asa Turner, Elijah Molden, maybe someone like an Alex Cook that we talked about earlier, getting an interception, scooping up a fumble, try to make some, you know, scoop and score situation on defense. I'm calling a Trent McDuffie forced fumble in this game. I, I mean, like you said in an earlier podcast, he's perfected the peanut putt. The peanut, peanut punch. punch, baby. Yep. And we'll see it on Saturday. I'm calling and it. 
So I think the turnover margin, let's be in the positive category there. I think that's probably the second most important key to this game. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's key to a lot of football games, you know, controlling, controlling the ball and not turning it over is, is huge and, and coming out on top in a football game. Pete Carroll stresses it in his Seahawks teams. He always talks about the turnover battle and if they were plus or minus in that, typically if they're plus, they're winning games, they're minus, they're losing games. So definitely something to keep an eye on on Saturday. Uh, one of the things that, like, along that note is that I, I want to see whoever starts at quarterback, them making smart, decisive decisions, decisive decisions. Well done, Connor. Again, <laughs> I'm three drinks deep. Okay. Uh, but I would like to see whoever the quarterback is making good decisions and being smart with the ball and picking their spots to take shots, especially because this game plan should again, revolve largely around us running the ball and being more physical than Oregon state is on defense. And so long as we do that, it should be a pretty, pretty good day, I think, for the Huskies. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. I think if we look at the, the first two keys to the game, I think are really indicative to the specific outcome of the game. I think Connor's third point around the quarterback battle there and getting a, a, a solid starter and a solid first game under the quarterback's belt I think leads to the success of, you know, kind of leads the momentum into the, the rest of the season. So, yeah, like, like I'm saying, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that the quarterback play comes out and, you know, with all the mystery around it, we can establish at least one or two solid quarterback options and build some momentum for the rest of the season. Segwaying that into our predictions for the game, I'll start us off. I think mm -hmm. we both agree that we should come out victorious against Oregon State on Saturday night. And I'm really expecting a beatdown. I haven't put a ton of thought into the actual final score of the game at this point, but I really think that we're going to dominate physically up front, running the ball. I think we'll ultimately be able to hold Jamar Jefferson in check. So I think the margin of victory is going to be fairly significant. Off the top of my head, I might go... 45 to 17. 17 might even be generous. I'll go 45 to 13 Huskies. All right. Pretty big, pretty big and resounding victory in that first game. Kick the, kick the Jimmy Lake era off. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would love to do that. I, I also think that we should thoroughly dominate this game and hopefully more so than last year even the last year's game felt comfortable it still ended in a 19 to 7 score line i do expect us to have a little bit of a sexier score line this this year and i am predicting that the huskies come out on top in a let's say let's say 31 to 10 that's solid. I'd take that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be a 
comfortable and resounding victory. And it's one of those that I, th- I, I'll, I will add to that. It's going to be a 31, 10 final score, but it's going to be 31 to three with like two minutes left in the fourth and they score a garbage touchdown. Gotcha. That makes sense. So I think our defense really dominates this game and we bottled Jamar Jefferson up and I don't think Oregon state's able to really do anything else offensively with any kind of consistency. They probably make a couple big plays, but none, none of it really amounts to them scoring the ball with any kind of consistency. So that's what I, that's what I foresee. Yeah. I think we're both kind of on the same wavelength with this one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And these will get more interesting, I think, as this season goes along, but we just happen to be going against probably one of our easiest, if not our easiest opponent, right at, right off the bat. And like we said last week, it's it's a soft landing for for Jimmy Lake, and um, we're excited to get this Jimmy Lake era, era going. But uh, with that said, I think that's probably at least a wrap on our game preview for Oregon State. Again, kickoff is at 8 p.m. on FS1 this this Saturday, which is the 14th. Is that right? Yeah, 14th. Yep. Um, but before we wrap up the episode, we do need to touch on some NFL dogs that had some big weeks in the NFL this week and a little bit of a quieter week for NFL dogs. Um, Buda Baker didn't really have like an exceptional game. I think he had like five tackles or something like that, but didn't do anything that we've been seeing from him, at least in the October games. He was, he was going off pretty much every game, but still a solid, a solid game, but they did lose against the Miami dolphins. Thank you dolphins again, as a Seahawks fan. Uh, But another Cardinal that is a former Husky did have a standout play and that was Darrell Daniels. He caught his first career NFL touchdown. So congratulations to to Darrell Daniels, someone that was very athletic as a tight end at UW, but never really put up like gaudy numbers or anything like that. But he stuck around in the NFL for a few years now and seems to be making a home for himself in Arizona and gets, gets his first touchdown of his career this, this last Sunday. So Big, big shout outs to him. Um, I know Marcus, True, Marcus, not Marcus Trufant, Marcus Peters uh, had, had a, had a decent game as well. I think we always kind of put an asterisk next to Marcus Peters, just because the relationship with UW football is kind of soured over the years. And he doesn't really want to be associated with UW, even though that's obviously where he played college he got kicked off the team by Chris Peterson in his first year. But nonetheless, he still was a dog, so we like to shout him out whenever he does well on Sundays. Um, he had five tackles and an interception, as well as a forced fumble in, in, a, in a game against Indianapolis and a win against Indianapolis last Sunday. And I think the other one that we want to shout out, I'll let you take the reins on this one, Sam, is someone from our era of UW football whenever we were in college and someone that we enjoyed watching. And I mentioned his older brother there for a second by mistake, but go ahead and talk about Desmond Trufant. Yes. His older brother, Marcus played on the wrong side of the state, but had a good Seahawks (laughs) career. So 
we're fans of Marcus, but his younger brother Desmond wore the right colors, purple and gold, no doubt. during Connor and I's time at the University of Washington as students. He's kind of been having a nagging hamstring injury throughout the season. Seems like he's kind of starting to hit his fifth gear and back in playing shape. He started the game for the Detroit Lions. He finished the game with six tackles, one pass defense, quarterback hit, a tackle for loss, a big sack for eight yards. So definitely trending in the positive direction for the second half of the season. Desmond Trufant, you know, seemingly healthy. And if he remains healthy, I think he'll be a mainstay on that Detroit Lions defense. And we'll likely be calling his name out for the rest of the NFL season as a pro dog. He seems to be really hitting his stride here. So happy for him. You know, as you get up there, he's been in the league for a while. He's up there in age. So shaking off a hamstring injury is a tough thing to do for anyone and happy to see him look healthy and contributing to that defense for sure. Yeah. To use a term that you used in last episode, I hope he's kind of finding a fountain of youth a bit here yeah. and, um, you know, was one of the better quarter corners in the game when he was with the, the Falcons about four, four years ago, five years ago or so kind of as he was finishing up his rookie contract and signed his first contract was again, one of the, one of the better corners in the league and has had some injury riddled seasons in recent times, but signs with the lions this past off season and finally healthy again. So hopefully he can have a good second half of this year and continue, continue his pro career. Yeah. Another guy, another guy that I want to shout out real quick is, um, with Miles Gaskin going on IR this last week, Savan Ahmed, another Husky, filled in with it, filled in for him, and played pretty well in his first like extent, extensive NFL action. I'm not sure if he had actually played before that or not. This is no, his first time in the NFL. Cool. Those were his first carries. So there you go. I mean, seven carries for 38 yards. He had a long of 19, so showing a little bit of that explosiveness that we saw at UW. Not any kind of gaudy numbers or anything like that, but a solid day for a team that tends to split their carries between their running backs and led the team in rushing. So good job for Salvan. I'm glad that he's not in a Niners uniform anymore and I can root for him a little bit better. Um, and, and it's cool that he's there with Miles Gaskin again. Yeah, so. for sure. It's a, it's a dog backfield down in Miami. So kind of, Kind of my AFC team this year, especially with the, again, like we mentioned last episode in our Seahawks episode, if you haven't listened to that episode, folks, go listen to episode six. It was a Sounders and Seahawks episode. And we shouted out the Miami Dolphins for really taking care of business in the NFC West for us Seahawks fans. We were the only team in the NFC West to beat them. So we owe Brian Flores and the bunch down in Miami, a bunch of flowers and, you know, anything they want i don't i don't know what else they would want but whatever they want yeah, they can have they it. can have it yeah <laughs> um yeah i think I don't one know if... one other pro dog i want to shout out you yeah know, go for it we we talked about caleb mcgarry a couple episodes ago sure the offensive linemen you know they're not going to get any sexy stats but similarly to caleb mcgarry another former Husky offensive lineman that's carved out a starting position on an NFL roster is Senio Kelamete. Yeah. He was a left tackle for the Huskies while Connor and I were in school. And 
he's carved out a nice role for himself. He's with the Houston Texans. He started the last five games for them. So just another shout out to one of the big dogs up front. And, you know, they're not going to show up in the stat sheet, but they certainly make a difference. And just another Husky offensive lineman getting it done on Sundays. No doubt. No doubt. It's always good to see those, you know, big dudes getting some love from us, you know, prominent Husky podcasters here. I'm sure that they really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I'll get a text from Senio that says, hey, thanks for the shout out, man. No doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're pretty close to wrapping here. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, Sam, is that we did get a, a game time for the Apple Cup yep. for the Friday after Thanksgiving. And that game's going to be at 730, I think, on ESPN, which is different yep. from the past few years. Fox has largely had had that game from a broadcasting perspective. So ESPN gets the rights this year, I guess, to the Apple Cup. And it's going to be a later kip, kick, so 7.30 p.m. on uh, Black Friday is when you should expect the Huskies to kick off against Wazoo, so long as there are no COVID crazy shit things happening. Big time caveat. <laughs> yes, pretty much to every week. Like Sam yeah. and I said like in the last episode with us being down about the Cal game being canceled, Really enjoy these Saturdays, folks. It really does sound like we're going to have our first game of the year this Saturday. So enjoy your Husky Saturday and um, don't take it for granted because there's going to be few, they're going to be few and far between this in this 2020 COVID year. Um, Not to, not to take anything away from future years, but this is just a weird year and we just need to take these, these little bits of normalcy and really reflect on them and cherish them for what they are. Um, yeah, I, it's been, it's been a hell of a year. So we just, uh, we just need to cherish these moments that we have a little bit of normalcy. That's right. Husky Saturday is going to happen. Raise that flag, Connor. I will. Yeah. I, I <laughs> Sam, I didn't, I didn't get it out last week. I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll have to do it this Saturday. I, will, I for sure will. I for sure will this Saturday. Yeah. It'll be flying in that, that windstorm that we're apparently supposed to get tomorrow night, but, but I don't think it's actually going to happen. So we'll see. Cool. All so right. Until then, go dogs and keep an eye out for our post-game podcast. It'll be a late night with the 8 p.m. kickoff, but yeah. Connor and I are excited to get together and do a quick podcast to recap our thoughts, feelings, raw emotions, hopefully in jubilation. But if it goes south, it's going to be equally entertaining for you listeners. Probably even more entertaining if that, so that's the case. Definitely tune into that and look out for that being posted on all streaming podcast platforms. And like I said, until then, go dogs. Yep. Subscribe and follow us, folks. Emerald City fandom. Do it. Please. I know you can. Please. <laughs> And give us mom, some feedback. Mom, are you listening? We love the we love the anchor voice feedback system. If you have questions, drop your questions in there. We'll plug you into an episode and, and give you some airtime. So hit the subscribe, follow button, give us some feedback. We'd love to interact with our listeners. And we look forward to the start of our Husky football season and the start of the Jimmy Lake era. No doubt. 
All right, Sam. Go dogs. Go dogs.